Pastor Jay said, uh, are starting a new series called Be Moved. We're not, we're not talking about packing the U-Haul Be Moved, although that's certainly appropriate for this month. We are talking about allowing God to move us and what it means to be moved by him and, and for him. Uh, everyone here is moved by something. And so the question I have for you today, it's in your notes, is this. What moves you? What, what is it in your life that moves you? I, I believe everybody is moved by something. I, I believe all of us have something that, that gets us up in the morning, that pushes us out the door. Every one of us have something that moves it. And the question is, what, what moves you? Now, I know what some of your wives are thinking right now. You're saying that everybody, everybody is moved. Uh, you don't know my teenager or you don't know my spouse. The, the truth is we, we think we know some people who appear not to be moved by much anything, but the truth is what's moving them is the desire to not be moved. And, and that in a way is a motivation and shapes who they are. But the truth is today we want to talk about a positive and a negative uh, response to this question, what moves you? Uh, because this will tell us really at the end of the day who owns you and what's important to you. I, uh, I ran into uh, Mikey over at uh, the Killian Road property. Mikey, wave at me down here to the front. And uh, I don't know, what time was it when I ran into you Saturday morning? About 8 o'clock, somewhere around there. And I, I saw this guy come in as a volunteer working to help prepare these facilities so that it can be a place where we worship. It can be a place where we as a church launch out into our community the other 167 hours in a week. We can come for an hour, but... To be the church, we've got to go out and be the church. The other 167 hours, Mikey, it's a lifestyle, isn't it? We talked about that. And, and I, I thought about what, what moves this man? You know, what, what keeps him going? Uh, what, what, what drives him? And, and, and you know, I, I really believe with all of my heart, if we, we can all drill down on that today and answer that question authentically, truthfully, I, I think we can understand a whole lot more about who we are and what's important to us uh, so that we don't live our lives and look back and wonder what was the purpose to it all. So if you look closely, everybody, you can see it, is moved by something. So I want to get started with a passage of Scripture that defines the things that move people who are not followers of Jesus Christ. The, I, I want you to see how God's word, man, it's, it's all here, you guys. This book has it all. It describes three primary movement sources, things that move us forward. It really drills down on them. And I want to spend just a minute talking about those things today because you're going to see these things are not from God. These are from the world system we live in, which is corrupt and sin-saturated. So let's go ahead and get started. 1 John chapter 2, 
verse number 16. Lock in here. I want you to hear these words from God's word. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. The world offers what? Craving, something that drives you. Uh, We all understand in in the world we live in today, we, we all know of someone who has been driven by the craving of an addiction uh, to an opioid or to possibly uh, some other drug or to alcohol. And and that craving has driven them to self-destructive behavior. This verse spells out three things that really define for most people what it is that drives them. The the first, as you read this, is, is a craving for physical pleasure. This is what we would call lust, that we would look at the world and and the old King James English in the KJV describes this as the lust of the eyes. We see things and it drives us. And certainly the entire pornography uh, experience is about seeing, being driven to lust. And, And it gives, in this passage here in the NLT, it describes it as a craving for physical pressure pleasure. And and it goes on to say, this is not from the Father. This is not God. This is the world. It goes on to say, some crave everything they see. This is what we would call greed. We we see something. We want it. We have to have it. And so we we virtually throw out all values. We we have no reference to a true north. We, We have no principles by which we live. We'll do anything we can to get it. And that, and that is greed. And then finally, there's this craving, this desire to achieve, to have recognition. And, and that really locks into our pride and how it's important for us to, to boast and let the world know how important we are and how significant we are. And, and all of us, there's a good side to this, that because of Jesus Christ, we have significance. But when we put our significance in possessions and things and, and we find ourselves driven by that, moved by that, we will find ourselves doing self-destructive things that tear us down. I don't know if you got this again, but in this scripture, it spells it out, lust, greed, and pride. These things do not come from God. Now, in your notes, I've given you Three blanks. I've given you three places to go ahead and fill in on a personal level after you look a little bit deeply. In fact, you can look at this as a takeaway, an opportunity to to spend some time alone with God and write down the three main things that drive you in your life. And and I, I, I think before you can fully deal with those things and confess them as sin recognizing that things that are not of the Father and are of the world, although they might give us pleasure for a moment and for a season, they are ultimately not a part of God's best plan for our life. There's not, they're not a part of God's purpose for our life. There's something more than the temporal pleasure and the achievements that inflate our egos and give us pride. These things are not from the Father. 
And so your takeaway today, your, your homework assignment, if you want to look at it that way, is to spend a little time thinking about those things and, and drill down on this and just get gut level honest about what are the things that drive you in your life. If you're married, after you spend some time doing this, I think it would be a helpful exercise to, to spend some time with your spouse and to ask the question, these things I wrote down, do you see them? Uh, you, you know me better than anyone else. That, that's one of the things that, that I've benefited so much from my relationship, my marriage to Kathy because she sees me as I am and she's not afraid uh, to call me on those things and to say, hey, wait a minute, time out. I, this, is not, this is not authentic or this is not real. And, and hopefully you will build that into your marriage spiritually, not as a weapon, don't weaponize this, but, but turn it into something that you can interact together for the purpose of helping understand who you really are and what you're really all about. And because 1 John chapter 2, 16 clearly says pride, lust, greed do not come from God, I want to flip to the other side of the coin and I want to talk a little bit about the main driver, the thing that God wants to use to move you forward, to drive you, to help you be moved. And, and it's, it's clear that we see these things do not come from God. How then can we overcome those things and by God's grace be moved in a way that is pleasing to him. So let me start with the first thought that's in your notes today. Here it is. Faith. That's the key word. You, you might want to seek, circle that. Faith can move you to attempt the impossible. R write that in. Im the, the impossible is possible. I uh, I don't want to spend a lot of time with this, but it, it's, it is my story and it's so relevant. And, you know, we all, we all have a story and I hope you'll be able to transfer this story and this example into something that, that helps you sort through what drives you and what your story is. But, you know, I stood up here to just be able to say it this way. Standing here right now, for me, is a miracle. It, it is an impossibility, humanly impossible, that I would be here with you today. I, now, I know some of you, probably the first thing, you, you looked up and you saw, man, Ed's got jeans with holes on him. How did that happen? Can I tell you the truth on that? Can we be honest? You promise not to tell anybody about the other thing? I, I always throw my jeans in my backpack well, I, I put these in here, did not notice until I was putting on and about shoved my foot through the hole in the knee. And I realized those are the jeans I wear when I'm working in the garden on my hands and knees. So will you all forgive me for I got some holy jeans going on today, okay? <laughs> if, you, if you can handle that. But I thought, gosh, I'm in the, I'm in the second hour service. Uh, I'll just fit right in. It'll be fine. So I doubt I'll be the only one. But here, here's what I'm trying to get you to hear me say. Here it is. It is impossible, impossible to imagine that I would ever be able to stand in front of any group of any size and get up and talk. I mean, humanly impossible. There are some people that are gifted communicators. They have natural gifts. They... They, they just get up and go. It's just they're wired for that. 
But then there's the rest of us, and quite frankly, I think it's the majority of us who struggle with the idea of getting in front of someone. I, I became a believer at the age of 17. I just turned 17, just a few weeks before, uh, in between my junior and senior year. Didn't turn 18 till my senior year was done. Was a young senior. But how many of you fit into that age group, 17-ish? Would you wave at me right now? Yeah, it's a fun age. But th that's when God spoke to my heart, and I admitted that I was a sinner and that I couldn't save myself and that only Jesus, I accepted his love, his gift. And it, and it wasn't long after that, because people sometimes say, Ed, when did you know you were called to preach or into full-time ministry? And the short answer to that is, I honestly felt it the same time period in which God spoke to my heart and saved me. I, I felt a sense of this was not halfway. I, I was going to become a Christian and I was going to follow Christ and I was going to be all in. And I didn't know what all that meant, but I actually surrendered the same week. A few days later, I remember going, okay, this, this is real. This, this is taking. This is the real deal. God, you are real. And, and, and I remember one of the first things when my pastor, uh, Dick Freeman, uh, pastored Rhine Road Baptist Church in Warren, Michigan. And he came to me and said, Ed, I heard you've asked Christ to save you. And I heard you even have a sense of maybe a calling of some kind. Yeah, you know, what do you say when you're 17? Yeah, I, I think so. I guess so. And he looked at me and said, well, if you're called to, uh, to do something for God, you need to get started right now. And he says, we need, we're kind of short right now. Our church is growing. We need somebody to teach a class of first grade boys. And so I, I'd just been saved a few days. And my pastor said, I want you to do this. And I said, okay. And, but I was scared to death. Most of my early memories are, are moments of being terrorized by the thought of having to get up and speak. And I, I walked in. They didn't have a class. The church was in a building program, adding more space. And, and so they showed me my class. It was on a stairwell. And the kids, first grade boys, were sitting on the steps up, up the stairwell. Which if you know first grade boys, this was a target-rich environment because the kid in front of him, his head was in perfect alignment to reach out and kick him. And, and that's how it started. I remember walking in front of that little group of about 20 kids, 20 first graders. They had a group of about 40. They split them in half. There was too many. I mean, it was totally mob city. It was out of control. It was near riot conditions. And I got the 20 bad ones because they thought, you know, Ed can handle them. He's young. And they, they put them all in one little group. And, and I got to tell you the truth. Frankly, first grade boys still scare me. They frighten me. <laughs> And I, I remember getting up there and how absolutely fearful I was. Let me take it one step. A few months later, I, I went away to Bible college, required curriculum. Uh, it required that I take a, a speech class, speech 101. And you couldn't graduate from my major without taking speech. And so I signed up and I took the class and the day my first speech was due, I remember walking to get to the class and at the last minute, I actually remember I have a sensory perception, a feeling of this, I took a right, I didn't go to the class, I went to the administrative building, I went to the registrar and I dropped the class. 
They said, Ed, you have to take this class to graduate. Uh, first semester. Second semester, I, I literally the exact same thing. I paid for the class. I took the class. The day my speech was due, I dropped the class. When I say standing up here is, is an impossibility for me. I mean, my greatest fears in life have to do with the thought of standing in front of people and talking. And, and I, I remember with all of my heart, all the, all the times, my, my junior year, the, the team voted me to be the captain for the next year, my senior year, and I remember telling them I can't accept it. You know why? I, I knew the captain had to get in front of everyone and talk. I ultimately did it. I was asked to lead the football team in the Lord's Prayer my senior year. I couldn't do it. Now, now you guys, you just say, man, Ed, you're, you're a mess. You, you're, you are in bad shape. But the truth is, I'm trying to get you guys to understand something. I believe that every one of us have impossible things in front of us. Just like David had Goliath, that's an impossibility. Just like Abraham said, go ahead and leave home. Your comfort, your familiarity, and go to this promised land. I'll show you when you get there. And he did it by faith. As David slew the giant by faith. One of my favorite stories in the Old Testament is a judge, a minor, minor guy. Very few people know much about him. A guy named Shamgar. But he's one of my favorite guys because he, he just was scared all the time. And when God called him, he was a farmer. He was not trained as a military man. And, and God just basically said, no, you, you got to go out there and you got to lead the people in this battle. And he had no training. He didn't know how to handle a sword. So he grabbed the jawbone of a donkey. And he used that as his club and defeated hundreds of the enemy with God's power and God's strength. He did the impossible. So, so you... You get what I'm saying today? I think everybody here, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, I believe the faith of God can help you attempt and do the impossible. I, uh, I have a verse I want to read to you. It's a verse that became very, very significant to me. It's from Matthew chapter 17. It's verse number 20. It has to do with a period of time where the disciples, the followers of Christ, had failed in an effort. And so they came to Jesus and said, what do we do wrong? And here's what Jesus said. Here it is, Matthew 17, 20. You don't have enough faith, Jesus told them. I tell you the truth, if you had faith even as small as a mustard seed. The first time I read that, I looked that up in a Bible dictionary. You say, what, what's a mustard seed? It is tiny. You get, you get it? The verse is saying you don't have to have a lot. If you had that much faith, you could say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it would move. Nothing would be impossible. That is an amazing pr promise to those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ. Okay, God, if this verse is true, with your help, I can do it. I, I can remember the come to Jesus moment as a freshman in college, 18 years old, when I realized God, I can't do this. I need you to help me do this. And, and, and by his grace, he gave me the strength to get up 
to share what was real and authentic and, and, and what God was doing in my life. And, and I'm here to tell you, God wants to use you. There are lots of people here today because we all are looking forward to the new home which will house Connect Church because we are the body. We are the church. We are Connect Church. And so the building is not Connect Church. It's the place that will house Connect Church when we assemble together. But we're only going to be there an hour a week. We're only going to be there a few minutes, an hour a week. And at the end of the day, at the end of that hour, there's another 167 hours. I'm going to talk about some of that throughout this month. And that's when the church goes outside of the building and, and is the church. And that's when we're supposed to be doing the impossible. have people sometimes when they hear the story that I was so shy and I am an introvert. I'd rather be off to the side listening to you even still to this day and I still get butterflies. I, I do. I, they, the butterflies fly in formation. They're maybe a little more organized. But it's real to me. Now at Connect Church, we are giving ourselves to the mission of organizing ourselves in order to allow God to work in our life so that we can do the impossible. Because nothing is impossible. If, I, I, I have said this publicly, I've said it in writing, but it is my hope and prayer that of all the people who sign the covenant, who are charter members of Connect Church, it is my hope and prayer that 100% of those who said, yes, I believe in this vision of a church that is committed to people and the love of Christ and, and to investing in, in people and not in buildings, but is, is committed to the mission of sharing the good news about Christ and the value of community and purpose. I, I, I've signed on for that. It's my hope and prayer that 100% of us will sign on to a ministry team. Because a ministry team allows you to do so much more than you can do by yourself. None of us are supposed to be flying solo. But all of us are going to be called. We're going to talk about this the rest of the month. What ministry team is God calling me to commit to? You say, well, I don't know. Well, try one. And, and if you're not right on it, God will forgive you and try another one until you get it right. And so I guess I want to wrap this idea up about faith. You see, I need more faith. How do I get more faith? Well, the Bible says this book right here. Faith comes by hearing and hearing comes by the word of God. Faith comes as this book, God's word, become engrafted into your heart, into your life. And, and don't tell me you got faith if, if you're not serving. And we're talking about ministry teams that, that empower us to serve with others because James said it this way. Listen, Faith without works, some of you know this word, is what? Is dead, yeah. For the rest of you, the word is dead. Faith without works is dead. So you want more faith? Get in the book. Allow God to speak to your heart and allow him to show you what truth is so that your values can be directed to the true north of Jesus Christ. There's a kind of a personal question here. And, and it, it basically gives you a chance to kind of apply this to your life. But what impossible challenge am, am I facing right now? 
I hope you'll spend some time thinking. God is leading you to do something. There's something to overcome. There's something that's difficult to do. By faith, you can do the impossible. Number, the second thought. Here you go. Faith without love is nothing. This is just going to be short to, to tell you what, what I believe Scripture spells out. But I, I would like to propose to you that one of the greatest obstacles to God-inspired service is when we maybe do the things we do without love, in our flesh, without God, or maybe we do it because we're just kind of gifted in a particular area. And God will use our gifts, our natural abilities, but, but God wants to add to what your natural abilities are and, and give you spiritual gifts. And really, when it comes right down to it, it, it is God's plan to work through us doing the impossible in a way that others who maybe know us go, how, how is this? Why is this? Let me give you a verse. 1 Corinthians 13, 2 says, if I had the gift of prophecy and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I want you to read that last line there with me. What does it say? I You see, faith without love is just the mechanical effort of serving. It is absent of God's empowerment. Love is what drives it all. Faith without love is nothing. So here's the question. Does my love for Jesus drive my faith or am I moved by other things? What is moving you? And and I want to propose to you today that, that I, I believe God wants to move within our life. And, and so the life application, application question here is pretty simple. How can I move by, be moved by a loving faith? Not just a faith that says, okay, God, and it's clinical, but a, a love that is absolutely authentic. Acts 17.28 says, for in him we live and move and exist. And I, I want to propose that that phrase, for in him, for in him, in Christ, we live. We have no life outside of being in him. If you are here today and you've never been born again, God loves you so much. doesn't matter what you've done, where you've been, how much you've messed up. Jesus Christ wants to come into your life because in him we live, we move. That's what moves us. And that's what real life is all about. And that's what it means to exist. I have one final statement. Let me wrap it up by saying, when I am connected to Jesus and living in him, I am moved to exist for him. I am moved to exist for him. Yesterday morning, Kathy and I drove to uh, Summa City Hospital. It was kind of weird, frankly. It was the last time I was there. Uh, I, I had an ambulance ride to get there. Uh, and they admitted me into a room, but we felt deeply burdened as we had returned from being out of town to go see and spend some time uh, with Gail and Chris, Holly, and of course, Calvin. Most of you are aware that one of the real prayer warriors, a man of faith in our church that we've talked about a little bit, I put it out just a little bit of his story last week in the weekend uh, connection. But as we got there and we spent a moment and we prayed, it, it hit me, it dawned on me that this man 
who virtually, if ever, is rarely in front of a crowd, has impacted more lives, has, has touched more lives. And as I walked into the prayer room this morning to pray with some other people who were there, there was, a, there was an empty spot, there was an absence there because I cannot remember a time when we met to pray that Calvin wasn't there unless he was on the mission field with his son, Chris. And it, and it hit me what made Calvin the real deal is Christ was in him. It was authentic. It was real. And, and he didn't thump his chest. He didn't boast. He didn't have to tell everybody how much he knew about the Bible. When he prayed, it was, man, it was it was right to the gut of your heart. And, and it hit me that really our faith, as we get into the word of God and we get into Jesus and get more of him in us, it becomes more and more important for us every single day of our life to allow him to work through us because Christ in us empowers us to act on his behalf. And that's what it means to be a part of a ministry team, partnering with others for the purpose of allowing Christ to work in and through you. So my hope and prayer is this today. If you're here and you're not sure that Christ is in you, if you're not sure if you were to die, you'd go to heaven, that Christ lives within your heart, it's my hope and prayer. After we worship and we sing and we wrap this service up, I'll be standing down here to the front. It's my hope and prayer you'll come and say, Ed, I, I want to know what it means to have a relationship with Christ. I hope you'll, before this day is over, you will get that issue resolved in your life. And it's my, my hope and prayer that every one of us will allow God to move us, that we will be moved by his spirit who lives within us. Let's stand, if we would, just briefly. We're going to bow our heads for prayer. Having Christ in you doesn't mean you won't have problems. Being involved in a ministry team or in service doesn't mean that everything will go without a hitch. What it does mean is this. Let me tell you this. This is the most powerful theology you're going to hear today. It does mean that if Christ is in you, you will never go through those problems alone. If you are in him, he will go through those issues with you. So we're going to worship. We're going to wrap this service up. Please hear me when I say this. If you don't know Jesus, come to him today. Right where you're standing, pray a prayer. Invite him into your life. If maybe, eh, maybe you're looking now and getting honest and saying, yeah, those drivers, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. Yeah, those things drive me. Then, then why not repent of those things? Ask for his forgiveness and allow Christ in you, his word in you to empower you to do the impossible. Lord, speak to our hearts today. We desperately need you. We can't do this without you. We ask you in Jesus' name. If there's one person here today who's not born again, we pray that today they'll be saved. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.